Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies hellishly worth watching, especially when there's bumps along the way. I'm your host, the devil incognito, David Osger, and I'm joined by my co-host, who is only here because he sold me his soul for a donut, and it was scrum diddlyumptious. It's Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Is that an unintentional fat joke? (laughs) Hey, I would sell my soul for a donut sometimes, so no. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's ironic you bring that considering I'm really angry at Tesco at the moment because they've changed the the supplier for donuts and just, just they're bad now. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I, I like that theme in of just like, I'm glad you brought that up because here's who I'm angry at this week. Here's the business that has offended me. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by Tesco. <laughs> you tesco sponsored by tesco where you get shit donuts <laughs> don't go there for the, your trick-or-treat uh, treats uh, and i thought i would just close out the chapter on the simpson halloween themed uh, openings i've had throughout all of these uh, halloween horror episodes so the circle is now complete in that sense uh, very much like a donut <laughs> yeah exactly and uh like a donut it's uh you know th- all things come around and uh it's been quite the time i don't usually bring politics onto the podcast oh god but the fact that we are recording this and when this is released there will be another prime minister on the day that the other prime minister has left i've got to ask craig are you are you in line for the next prime minister because at this stage it could be anyone how dare you call me tory how how genuinely offensive hey, i'm just saying it could be from anywhere you know people are saying it could be a lettuce at this stage i mean yeah if there's anyone gonna bring us onto the tip of the iceberg but boom bang <laughs> <laughs> terrible terrible but yeah it's honestly it's actually quite spectacular to just watch the entire chaos devolve um especially considering that it's been one of those weeks where i think i saw the chaos unfolding and went to myself well that's not good news but uh it, it, i i think it's gonna weather a bit i don't think it's gonna be an immediate resignation nope <laughs> literally today it happened i'm like oh <laughs> all right um okay anyway we've had um some fun times over this of the course of uh, our halloween horror months in which we've been talking all about horror and halloween themed movies uh, for the entirety of october and now it's come to this thrilling end uh with this episode which is our specific halloween special as it's out on halloween which is very exciting and uh, we have with us uh, two guests which are 
absolutely perfect for this episode. We are all here dressed up as well. Obviously, this is through the medium of audio. But if you go check out our socials, then you can go see the fun costumes that are put on uh, display in this uh, recording session. We knew that that would be a challenge uh, that was set to us, especially with some of the guests that we have. So uh, let's get to introducing them because they've joined us on Halloween specials before. uh, So they are no strangers to this podcast. So first off, we have writer, singer and all-round creative. It's Shelley Taylor. Hello, Shelley. Hello. You all right? It's been some time. It's good to have you back. Yeah. Was it Little Miss Sunshine was the last one, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Craig's just happy you're not bringing an Adam Sandler movie with you. (laughs) We've had many an argument since on the podcast in which Craig's like, you made me watch Jack and Jill. And I'm like, that was Shelley as well as me. Oh, are we not here to talk about Who Be Halloween? No, we've done that. that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) That's already been covered. Don't worry. I did that one. Yes. And I don't think you made it through it, did you? No, I didn't watch the whole film. Yeah, you turned it off after 10 minutes. No, 30 minutes. 30 minutes. I apologize. So uh, I had more respect for you. Um, So we'll get to our other guest as well, uh, which is drag artist Lucy Fur joining us once more. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Hi. Once again, it's been a bit of time, much like Shelley, and it's been quite some time in, since we've both had you on. We always enjoy having the chaos that comes with both of you, especially <laughs> after the what? crazy friendship you formed all that time ago in the, the, the Valentine's episode. The Valentine's one. Is yeah. the Sycorax still oh around? Is the, is, is the... Always. <laughs> it's always with us. It's, yeah, it's whenever we're together, we, we conjure. <laughs> it's like a state of mind. <laughs> It's like like this film in which you like read in with like a dress that they used to wear and it starts filling up or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, it's uh, great to have you both back on. And like I said, it's we've had some a lot of fun in the past. And yeah, it's crazy that both of you have been on the last time you were both on was both separately as well. So Shelley was talking about a very different film uh, with Little Miss Sunshine. Lucy, you also joined us for Pudsy the Dog the Movie. <laughs> well, I would say we've put you through hell but then you also give us 50 shades so it's just <laughs> like shelly has the adam sandler stuff and the bad rom-coms but then you also have the bad rom-coms pudsy and the 50 shades of gray <laughs> it was so bad i can't believe you made me watch that film <laughs> so uh it's yeah it's been some time as i mentioned so uh obviously a good time to catch up so first off shelly obviously you've been uh, very busy in uh, a lot of theatrical productions so tell us about what you've been up to recently yeah um so god it was back in march we did um kinky boots um at the octagon theater in yeovil and then literally a week later we uh, started rehearsals for Legally Blonde the Musical, uh, which finished on Saturday, uh, just gone. Well, the um, the 15th, as it was. So, um, yeah, I'm basically, I'm really, really burnt out <laughs> and <laughs> just need to lay down for a couple of weeks. I might just sleep through Halloween. I can be, uh, I can be dead for Halloween. <laughs> and, and what's the production company that uh, that's a part of? It's called Yeos, Yeovil Amateur Operatic Society. Oh, fun. Um, they're doing Anything Goes next and then Into the Woods, oh. which I love. Yeah. So, and it's like very ambitious ones, especially to, well, the first was, I assume there'd been ones before you'd been part of it, but Kinky Boots is quite, an, you know, a 
ambitious one to do for like an amateur production as well. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, they've been going since like something like 1915 wow. or something crazy like that. So yeah, they're, they're really well established and everyone who comes to see it is like, I can't believe that was an amateur production. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I can't believe I didn't get paid for that either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so much fun to be a part of, but um, I need a bit of a rest now. <laughs> yeah, know that feeling with uh, different work and projects and traveling. It's a, it's a tiring time and uh yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet you're excited for the ones that are coming up. I think uh, Lucy definitely probably is eyeing up maybe into the woods. You know, it's a good chance for a spooky witch character in there. You know, oh, yes. to take over the role yeah. of Meryl Streep. <laughs> you can commute to the West Country every day, right? <laughs> Three times a week for rehearsals. Yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> I actually, um, I once saw in the local newspaper here, they were advertising for a new witch at Wookiee Hole. <laughs> like that, you, you could have done great job at that, Lucy. <laughs> it was like, must have a great cackle. And that was basically it. <laughs> that was all you needed. Honestly, I think I've like missed my like call in there i'm just wondering if part of it will be like oh i'm like ready now i'm in my witch gear or if there'll other, be other times in which they just turn up and lucy's just like get out of my house like you know get angry at children <laughs> just leave like a cigarette in your hand just like piss off <laughs> not now <laughs> not, not, to Boogie home now. <laughs> not even ready for work yet <laughs> <laughs> We look forward to today talking all about uh, some fun Halloween-themed goodness with our movie. So uh, let's get into what we're talking about today and how we came to talk about it. So, Craig, can you uh, let the audience know, uh, for anyone who isn't caught up, what led us to today's film and what is said film? So last episode, we had the mostly stop-motion with a little bit of CGI horror film based for uh, meant for kids in paranorman which ended up leading us nicely on to the mostly live action little bit of stop motion uh horror fun uh mostly for adults with weird sort of edits to try and make it family friendly even though i don't understand why you'd even attempt that with this film but the film that we're discussing in today's episode is beetlejuice adam and barbara are recently deceased of these pesky pests, they call on the ghost world's leading bio-exorcist. <laughs> it's showtime. Attention, Game Board shoppers. I'm back. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out here. <laughs> but I want out. For good. You two have really screwed up. I want Beetlejuice out of the picture. You guys really are dead. Nightshade's prompts spirits drop to the living. Let now the dead belly come alive. Ah! That is why 
I won't do two shows a night anymore, babe. I won't. Say it again. <laughs> nice, nice try. There's enough There's enough bad things going on before I have to summon <laughs> that person forward. That's why none of us dressed as him, because surprise, <laughs> once we've mentioned it three times, he's going to pop up <laughs> in the episode. And then I'd have to do my voice. <laughs> At the top there, we also mentioned uh, the movies hellishly worth watching, especially when there's bumps along the way, as it's our Halloween uh, episode here. So just to tease the audience at home and our guests, what are your thoughts on this movie? So I do have to question, given that there's a narrative across these three episodes of the Halloween episode that I'm just going into a deeper and deeper and deeper depression to the point that we've gotten here. Why on earth is this week's film a film that not only shows so much like death, but has so much discussion about death and suicide, but also different types of suicide to the point of somebody literally scribbling out in the note how they're going to kill themselves? Why the hell did we think that was a good idea, David? What was going on? What the hell is anything anymore? I can't take this! He's falling. No, <laughs> plummeting. <laughs> and this is why I invited Shelley and Lucy on, the perfect guests <laughs> to, to, to drive Craig's like insanity. <laughs> I feel like this is the only film I've ever seen, apart from like All Dogs Go to Heaven with, with like Carface, that has like a murderer dog in it. Why did the dog kill them? That was going to be my opening question. <laughs> what the hell? We, we will get to that. Don't worry, Lucy, we'll get to it. So yeah, today we are talking about Beetlejuice from 1988, directed by Tim Burton. So we'll get on to uh, our guest thoughts about the film, my own thoughts, and uh, Craig can expand a bit more. So on to the film itself then. As I mentioned, this was out in 1988. Uh, it is directed by Tim Burton. Uh, the writers uh, include Michael McDowell, and then you've also got uh, Warren, Scarron, and Larry Wilson, uh, who are also credited with story and screenplay. Uh, this film uh, has got quite a big cast, especially when you look back now in terms of who appeared in this. Uh, you've got an early appearance of uh, Alec Baldwin. Uh, you've also got uh, Gina Davis. Uh, Annie McDowell. And Rowe appears at the beginning of this film. Of course, you've got Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, uh, Catherine O'Hara as Delia, and then you also got Jeffrey Jones as Charles, and Winona Ryder as Lydia, uh, or in this case, <laughs> Lucy Fair as <laughs> Lydia in this episode, and uh, Glenn Shadix as Otho. Uh, so this film is very much known for, yeah, it's kooky visuals its style uh, also its music as well there's a lot of sequences and songs that have become famous and there's a musical yes yeah which yeah is well timed as well so yeah there is uh, deo uh, the ban banana boat song which makes an appearance in this film and also jump in the line which is the shake shake sonora uh, song both making appearances in this and as shelly said as well they have made a musical uh, adaptation of this film uh, in recent years as well. And as I mentioned uh, before, like I said, another infamous one for Tim Burton, uh, which we've discussed on the podcast before, uh, usually too begrudgingly uh, for Craig, who is not a fan. Uh, Tim Burton's obviously other sort of big directing roles in the past has been the likes of, especially around the time of this film. We had things like uh, Batman. Uh, he had his like big sort of start with uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. 
uh, and then Edward Scissorhands, which we've talked about before. And then later on, he did things like Big Fish. Obviously, he's well known for Batman Returns as well. Um, but yeah, this was one of like his first sort of big movies as well as Nightmare Before Christmas. But that one he sort of just wrote, didn't actually direct that one. Um, yeah, so this one has really sort of like made its way into pop culture through its... Uh, visuals. There's obviously been a long-awaited sequel, which is now meant to be in production, but it is one of those films in which it's been like years in which they've discussed it. Um, but people like Michael Keaton, Tim Burton have said that they are up for it. Tim Burton is currently also got his uh, series based on the Adams family, which is all about Wednesday Adams coming out at the moment, and which is perfectly timed for Halloween. So yeah, there's a lot of good reasons to discuss this film as well as the connection we had uh, to the last uh, episode. Uh, we've talked before about horror films, obviously from the past, you know, you guys talked about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and we talked about Trick or Treat. So there's a lot of themes there, of, like loving the kind of like theatrics of halloween and trick-or-treat films and but also like traditional horror spooky things like witches and curses all that kind of stuff this is a different kind of halloween film in terms of embracing some of the the kooky visuals and the the costumes all that kind of stuff how do you guys usually vibe with a film like this with you know the you saw gothics or more dark dramatics or films or even like dark comedies i guess i love that it goes full sort of b-movie visuals and that you've got you know the the dark and the the black and white but then also kind of like luminous green and a lot of bright colors that are sort of synonymous with halloween as well like your oranges and your greens and your reds and things like that so in terms of the visuals of the film i really like it and it's just it's just stupid as well i love a stupid comedy yeah, I think there's like stylistic choices made with like the the sandworms and stuff like that, and the ghosts that make it like it would be dated if that was different. But because it's like that style, there's like a very mm. distinct style that it like it doesn't become dated. Uh, it's aware really like of that. itself, like looking. It's bad. just a very like interesting aesthetic, yeah. and I, I I really enjoy it. Like I think this is. Tim Burton when he was good this is I think his second film <laughs> and I think it was like downhill from sort of here on thank you <laughs> I'm really not a fan of Tim Burton I think thank he's you. that that was going to be my not. next question yeah so, so right you would think me being me being like that I'm literally dressed as Lydia right now and like I had this outfit ready like that that's the kind of person I am the room I'm in is black and white stripes all over. You can't see because it's facing the other way, but it is. You would think I'd love Tim Burton, but he's just sort of claimed this aesthetic that belongs to everyone, like this Victorian, mm. like gothic malnourished thing. And then he made it racist by being like, I don't think what black people fit into my aesthetic. And I'm like, black people can't be Victorian and malnourished. Like, are we joking? Like, they can't <laughs> be ghosts? What the f- like, What are you on about? So, um, yeah, I'm really not a fan of Tim Burton because of that. And because I don't think, I, I think he gets credit for like everything good that's in his films when it's like other people do jobs in his films. It's the same with, I have the same thing with Joss Whedon. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I don't think he's to blame for how good it is. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, it's like I hate Joss other Whedon. people. <laughs> he's a human being. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that, and that happens a lot with uh, like Star Wars and stuff, especially there's like one of the people involved in it now, they'll be like, oh, Dave Filoni is like the god, he is like the master of all of Star Wars just because he was involved in like a lot of the animated stuff and he was like a kind of protege of George Lucas, but there's projects which he's not even involved with or he's just been a consultant in which he's like, oh, he's done such a great job. And you're like, you do realize he didn't direct or write that, you know, and a similar thing does happen with Tim Burton in terms of, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas being one of the biggest examples, you know, that was, you know, directed by Henry Selleck, who then went on to do Coraline, etc. And that's why then a lot of people be like, oh, yeah, Coraline, that, you know, Tim Burton film. It's like, no, it's not a Tim Burton film. That's just people being stupid. <laughs> yeah, that is really annoying. One of the things that um, really shapes the aesthetic of this film is the like special effects. And that wasn't Tim Burton. It was V. Neil. And yes, I'll admit he would have worked with her to get that aesthetic. But she was the makeup artist, but like with the final say with the makeup brush in her hand, she is to blame for how good this film is. And Bo Welsh as well, doing production design, married to um, Catherine O'Hara. So obviously, Shelley, what, film. what's your experience or track history with Tim Burton? Are you a fan? Or? Um, Marmite, kind of. Um, I hated like Corpse Bride. And see, I... I tend to like the performances in it. So I like Sweeney Todd, but then I think that's just because I like Sweeney Todd, yeah. you know? It's, um, just a, it's just a relatively faithful adaptation of a very strong stage show. Yeah, exactly. I, I It's not that I like Tim Burton, it's that I like Stephen Sondheim, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I think he attaches his name to a lot of talented people and then, you know doesn't doesn't shy away from taking all of that credit so i would have to agree with everyone i'm uh this is beetlejuice is one of my preferred tim burton vehicles yeah he does tend to be one of those directors where you know it's kind of like the good and the bad which a lot of people will see um you know i guess in the past you know me and craig have talked about before like you know i i, I like him as a director and I'm not just doing this. Craig is definitely thinking this in his mind now. Like, oh, I'm going to call him up on this. But I think in the past we've talked about things like Edward Scissorhands. I'm a big. This is correct. I, I'm a big Charlie and the Chocolate Factory apologist. I actually enjoy you, that you film. Yeah. Um, as mad as people think that is, um, I is, think it's yeah. just a lot of what works with Tim Burton works within that film and Roald Dahl, who is obviously another problematic creator. But in terms of going for that like crazy kooky horror-esque kind of children's stories i think it kind of works but only it as doesn't what works in what some of even the dahl estate has said which is like it's uh, you know tim burton does roll dahl i don't necessarily see that film and go oh that's roll dahl's tim uh, that's roll dahl's charlie and the chalk factory like a perfect adaptation i think only really that's one of the specific examples of like only the book can really give you that yeah i think that i appreciate him as a director because even when it's the more mediocre films then i still appreciate the originality etc or some of the bold choices he's going for i even know my dark shadows which i know again would be judged by a lot i'm of a people. werewolf <laughs> woof woof except again i think it is it is bad in that David. sense i know but but again i'm only saying that as like uh, i don't think it's terrible like awful in the sense that well I'll, I'll rephrase that 
Helena Bonham Carter did an interview and they were like, oh, what do you think about this being like based on this like awful, this soap opera? And she was like, well, it was an awful campy soap opera and that's what this is. So I'm like, it's an interesting one because I'm like, it's it, he has done an awful campy soap opera. So it's kind of like it's intentionally bad in some ways. But again, I'm not like, oh, I actually really like that film. I just think that it's like okay so far everything you've said is logically consistent with things you've said in the past i'm waiting i'm waiting for this flip that you've (laughs) that you've said is coming but yeah i do you know i will admit that there's other times in which like i don't quite vibe with some of the choices that he makes or some of the things i hear behind the scenes i think even like before christmas uh the fact that he was meant to be going out with the writer of the film and like he wasn't like very happy uh, I can't remember her name right now, but she's like responsible for a lot of the great stuff you see with Sally, etc. And apparently he wasn't really happy with a lot of what she did. And I'm like, well, sorry, Tim, I would disagree. You know, I think that she, you know, added a lot to that film and she like obviously provided the script, which turned it into such a great animated sort of classic. Um, and you do hear about like a lot of like, yeah, dramas behind the scenes, bad comments, like you mentioned, Lucy. And like I said, but I, I've never been one of those people who's like, oh, I'm a Tarantino person. I'm, you know, I love Scorsese. I don't tend to attach myself to directors that much. I tend to just choose the individual films a bit more. So I've always struggled with the idea of saying like, oh, I'm a big Burton fan. I am, I'm looking forward to listening back to the episode we did Edward Scissorhand to listen to exactly what you say on this. Well, <laughs> Because yeah. I feel like you said something along those lines. Possibly in the sense of like, I enjoy him as a director. The, mo- but again, the majority of his films you tend to, you do tend to latch on to. Like you even made me watch Alice in Wonderland for crying out loud. <laughs> that I'll admit is not very good. Those types of films though, again, I just find that there's certain aesthetics or certain choices, which I could be like, at least I can enjoy that element to it. I think he's bringing something else to a project, which other directors just, when you watch it, you're like, well, that just got completely lost. At least sometimes I think he manages to put something visually interesting or like you said, Shelley, something out of the performers at least. Mm. Or more often than not, I will just, when I when I think of a Tim Burton film, I'll actually picture, or not picture, um, like Danny Elfman's music rather than any lines in the film. It's more the aesthetic and that's, yeah, that's very much... Not really down to him. It's down to the the team of creatives that he he gets on board. So I guess the 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 Burton team that he gets is uh, is good. I'm just going to say my perspective against the originality thing again. I'm currently um, working with a couple of um, computer scientists uh, to create what I call the Tim Burton uh, AI algorithm, mm-hmm. which is basically I'm going to start. Uh, we're basically going to take all the facets that I believe is just in a Tim Burton film, and we're just gonna we're just gonna create fifty thousand different films, which are all going to be, and everyone's going to be convinced they are Tim Burton, despite the fact that they are the <laughs> Tim Burton AI algorithm. Because, like, so you're awesome, they, 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 they <laughs> for the most for the most films. part, for the reasons we've already <laughs> briefly discussed, the, the majority just look the damn same. I'm sorry, they all have like the same sort of like like weirdly whitish vibe and now i understand because of where of of the comment that lucy made it's not just a case of not having black people in it's also just incredibly whiting up the white actors he's chosen hey where are you going the one thing I would say is just sometimes the vibe that people say, oh, well, it's always like this dark gothic thing. Obviously, with something like Sleepy Hollow, that can be quite true. The only thing I would 
sort of push against that. And I, I guess it kind of goes with what you were saying, Lucy, as well, of just, you know, the aesthetic should appeal to you. But I think some people do get a bit more mixed up in the sense of like, oh, it's all dark, it's all gothic, it's all like very like goth vibes. But often, as Shelley was saying, etc., I think, you know, there's, it's that mirror, you know, it's that juxtaposition. There's always the like crazy kooky colors. And yes, there might be like a snowy background. There might be very pale characters, etc. But I think that's just kind of the ball Parky likes to play in is just kind of imagining these like sort of gothic characters within sort of more elaborate colorful worlds um and maybe sometimes he might sort of drain the color a bit but there's often times like rewatching beetlejuice it kind of reminded me in some ways without going like oh well all his films are these dark fantasy kind of stuff well no there's also mars attacks for example you know there's a lot of things i saw here which kind of i think led him to another kind of like b-movie comedy style film uh so that is a big part of his sort of i do aesthetic. like mars attacks yeah. <laughs> it was it was originally going to be a like straight up horror film and they had Wes craven on to direct and then they wanted to go in a different direction i believe so they went with tim burton and made it a horror comedy uh-huh. so yeah we've talked a lot there about uh tim burton so uh we touched as well on you know the the animation and the vid- visuals but uh before we get to that you know just generally you know what, what are your guys thoughts on on beetlejuice as a whole how much do you think it works as a film is a lot of it based on kind of like nostalgia and on memories has there been any differences when sort of revisiting it lucy what what do you think um Weirdly, I don't have nostalgia for this film because the first time I saw this film, I was an adult. Okay. Um, so, like, the first time I saw it, I had, like, fresh eyes. And there's, like, he's quite gropey. Like, I don't love that. I know that he's, like, the villain or whatever, but Beetlejuice is very, like, there's a few times he grabs Gina Davis and then he also, like, tries to marry a 16-year-old and he's clearly, like, whales and that. It's just, it's, it's not great. But <laughs> that being said, I do really enjoy it. I love the aesthetic. I love, Alec Baldwin is just carved by angels in this film. And he is wearing trousers that just like, oh, just grip his little bum perfectly. <laughs> he is a surprisingly um, attractive man in this film. Like, I, I've always thought Alec Baldwin was quite attractive, but this is just like peak like he just looks like he could just pick you up and like throw you around. Oh, and Gina and Davis looks really good as well. Like they they are a stunning couple. Mm. Um, and that's nice. That's just nice. Do you know what I mean? I'm just sat here looking minging, just watching Tally. Like, oh, this is nice. Pretty people, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're not always pretty in this film. Oh no! And then they become hideous monsters. This is what I mean. Like that bit, all the makeup and stuff very just like for the 80s as well just ingenious and the way that there's like storytelling through the makeup like you can tell how each ghost dies Mm. and I kind of wish that we could see that with the main couple but I guess I'm assuming they wanted us to like as an audience relate to them a bit more and if they were like ghostly looking it would be like a barrier for that I'm guessing that was a conversation that was had. I guess they could have like just kept, you know, not that they like were in the sea or anything, but they could have kept like, well, it wouldn't have been convenient to have them like wet all the time. But again, like, you know, if it was, if it was, they crashed in the sea, they could have had some seaweed on them or, you know, something like that. <laughs> Shelley, what's, uh, what's your overall thoughts? Is there a difference between uh, any previous thoughts to it to revisiting it or are you similar to Lucy in which it's been more of a recent watch? 
yeah, watching it, I, was, I think I was um early teen when I saw it for the first time. And it's got that very, like, early 90s. Obviously, it was 1988. So this film's one year older than me. Um, it's got that late 80s, early 90s vibe about it, but also 80s B-movie, which I, I really enjoy those kind of, like, in a cult following sort of way. I always think that where they do visual effects like stop in reality, motion sort of that's yeah. it yeah they always just age way better than cgi so um and there was a lot of that in the early 90s which is why i think i enjoy films from that era so much still today because it just puts me in that time rather than taking me out of it and going oh that's that's really bad <laughs> yeah the same the same as lucy like don't didn't enjoy the first sort of rewatch as as an adult going oh wow he really just wants to to grab Gina Davis for you know almost half of his screen time <laughs> um and he i don't has know so little screen time as well yeah yeah and he spent so much of it just gripping Gina Davis yeah and and actually he only really spends i don't know maybe 5 10 minutes in that like if that in that striped suit the which, famous suit yeah, yeah which is like a iconic image now i feel like if if anyone's wearing like pinstripe trousers i'm like oh beetlejuice trousers i think that's because that's what he's wearing in the cartoon oh yeah, yeah there was a cartoon as well so we had the musical and there was the a cartoon. cartoon yeah i think that's what's interesting about it is like you said shelly is that because it was out in 1988 and we were talking again about this like burton aesthetic and you know, the vibes of his films, I was kind of always thinking, well, you know, why, why is that always, you know, I could always understand the appeal of it. There's always then those like goths, etc., or people who just like that aesthetic, but how is it preserved for so long? And why did it originally become popular? And then when I was watching this, I was like, oh, wait, you know, all of the eighties was based a lot on that. You know, you look at animation, you had things like the Black Cauldron and Basil, the Great Mouse Detective, all of those films kind of went in a dark, spooky area. You look at the Don Bluth stuff and you've got things like Secret and Nim, a lot of then live action stuff. There was all all this kind very of dark. media was yeah. going very dark and gothic. So it kind of made sense that then this like kooky gothic guy turns up and Hollywood goes, oh, perfect, you know, especially when they're making a Batman film. So it very much suited that. And so I think that it's just then he kind of like led the way in terms of that because then that kind of trend really started in the 80s and carried on through the 90s so it's like perfectly set for then and i think that's why in a lot of ways that he has gone off a cliff in recent years because he's almost one sort of like the the trend is kind of almost then gone part away and then he obviously where the digital sort of age has come in and he's doing more with cg you just kind of lose that physical aesthetic etc so i think that yeah what's interesting about this is that it's kind of latching on to that kind of feeling of the the 80s 90s bridge um especially when like i had similar to you guys in terms of batman returns earlier this year i kind of like beetlejuice i hadn't really seen it since i was a kid and i couldn't really remember much of it and i watched batman returns and loads of people loved that film and again as a tim burton you know apologist or whatever i was kind of like this film is very horny <laughs> and has some very questionable and strange stuff in it and isn't really at all like a batman film and i feel that that 
is kind of the case in Beetlejuice sometimes. It's not really a Beetlejuice film for, you know, a large uh, part of it. And there's a lot of that kind of like risque humor going on throughout it, which he kind of does enjoy, which is not, like I said, one of the elements I enjoy as much. It, I guess it kind of works in something like Mars Attacks, in which is kind of like purposely like playing on that kind of like B-movie trope. Um, but yeah, I don't think it works when it's as uh, creepy as it, as it is here. It's yeah, also, not, it's not a not PG. Oh no. Isn't it 15? It's, it's the original cut as a 15 and then there's a, a family edit to make it PG. Because I, um, I had this issue when I was trying to find the film to watch because uh, there's two versions of it on Amazon Prime. And when I messaged David to mm-hmm. specify this, his response was, and I quote, it's on Netflix, isn't it? Speaking of Netflix, <laughs> it was Beetlejuice was the first ever DVD that Netflix sent out in 1998. Oh, what? Hey, kids, back in my day, Netflix used to send the DVDs through the post. <laughs> that's that's actually interesting as well, because, again, Beetlejuice is one of those films, like you said, is the, of the days of video rentals and stuff like that. So you always remember seeing the video and the DVD in shops. And I think that when I was thinking about, oh, what, you know, why was this film even made? You know, a 90 minute horror comedy. What what a weird thing to create. But then you, you look back and you think, well, no, that was a big thing at the time. You know, you had these very situational comedies. You had things like trains, planes and automobiles and you know, just a lot of like situational comedies, which sort of relied on these kind of like humorous situations. And it, it kind of fits that vibe, you know, similar to like how they then later made Adam's Family and things like that as well. High concept, stupid execution kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so grab those cassettes and rewind them again because it's time for VHS Corner, except not really because we've already had some of the facts splashed out throughout the episode so far. In a little bit of a in a little bit of a twist, the majority of us today actually have some facts uh, to bring forward. So we've asked both Shelley and Lucy to bring us one fact. We've had Shelley's. Uh, so Lucy, what fact about the film would you like to share with us? Uh, they nearly they they didn't want um Catherine O'Hara they wanted other people first and one of the people in the running was Goldie Horn who I think would have been great wow mm. death becomes esque exactly like I was as I was watching it today I was keeping that in mind and there's like quite a few lines where she's like I need to express myself I was like I could see Goldie Horn doing that just beautifully very true Shelley yours was the Netflix the first DVD they sent out you said yeah yeah, back in 1998, so ten just ten years after the film came out. So a couple of things from uh, a couple of things from me then. So the first one is about Michael Keaton and his relationship with this film, because despite the title character um, only having exactly fourteen and a half minutes uh, worth of screen time, uh, Michael Keaton has actually said that this is his personal favorite performance that he has ever done. Um, and I think part of that comes down to the fact of like the chaotic tone of the performance. 90% of the lines that he had were improvised. And he was also told to give Beetlejuice an air of the fact he has lived through all time periods, but also no time periods. So this inspired very much like the look and the, the chaotic nature of his, of his hair, uh, like the makeup they go for, as well as just uh, his overall attitude and uh, speaking performance. So yeah, that is one that will always forever live on with him. And that also in, uh, explains why he's so keen to do a second Beetlejuice. So coming on then to Tim Burton, who 
believe it or not, was not as keen as certain aspects of this film. So first of all, the he didn't think that the Deo sequence was was actually funny and thought that they would fall flat with audiences, but he was proven wrong by test audiences and the audiences who absolutely loved that scene, myself included. Um, and also the original name uh, was banded about across studios and he suggested that uh, a joke name that the studios would were contemplating for a while, which also just made him panic. That name being Scared Sheetless. <laughs> and finally, just to, to you know, go away from the the horror and the dark and depressing, and also to try and cheer me up a little bit, um, a romance story coming from behind the scenes of this of this horror comedy. So, uh, Catherine O'Hara um, did indeed um, marry the production designer uh, Bo Welsh. Um, and they first met on this film. According to Welsh, Tim Burton said that he should ask uh, ask her out near the ending of the filming. And he said, and I quote, it didn't even occur to me that I was supposed to talk to actors. But since Tim told me to, I did. And then we dated and then we're married. And here we are today. So very lovely outcome for them all. And that's everything. That's everything from me. So any facts uh, that we've shared at all today that we're intrigued about and we want to sort of discuss a little bit more, like any anything you found particularly interesting? I find it interesting that Tim Burton probably takes credit for Bo and Catherine's entire marriage as well. <laughs> I mean, probably. Like he does everything point. else. <laughs> it's like, hey, you should ask her out. Really? Yeah. Okay. Scared Sheetless would have been a funny name for it. I think it would have also been slightly more apt considering that even though Beetlejuice is obviously... Because for a while I had no idea why he was called... Why the film was called Beetlejuice when his name was... Bittel goose. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, this is a bit weird. And then obviously it's just that weird game of charades, which just gave it the name. And I was like, okay, this seems a bit of a weird tenuous link. So it makes sense that they were sort of concerned about names of the film and scared sheetless would have been amazing. But I think for like 1980s audiences, you know, being the prudes that they are. Um, I can I can kind of see it as just like a, a working title. I don't know if it was just that kind of thrown together attitude, maybe because thinking back to when I did my short film, uh, The Waiting Room, which is similar vibes of like a character goes on to like the in between moment be- between life and death sort of thing, and uh, that I was like there was a leaflet in the film. I can't is- help but feel that description of your short film is going to really disappoint people who are now expecting something much closer to like the chaotic nature and of no, Beetlejuice. No, it's not us. I mean, it's the complete opposite. So uh, the fact in that film, similar to how they have this book, there's like a leaflet I had in the in the film, which is just called like Oops, You're Dead. And like, I just couldn't think of what the film should be called. For, so for a while it was called Oops, You're Dead. And I was like, I didn't like the title, but I was like, it will do for now as a working title. But then eventually I was just like, let's just go simple. But so I kind of maybe see it in that vein. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how you'll have that a lot with either when they're just like the the secret names, but also just, yeah, the working titles will kind of just be something that maybe they've thrown together. But I don't know, maybe Tim Burton did think it was a good idea. I wouldn't put it past him. But yeah, Michael Keaton, I think, yeah, a lot of people have heard about the fact that, you know, this is one of his most favorite roles. And I think you can see that in the sense that he's having so much fun. And it is surprising that, you know, Tim Burton didn't go back and work with him again, considering he worked with him on Batman. And I guess you could already see that, you know, kind of vibe of like, oh, this is a charismatic character actor. It's, you know, like, you know, what he later found with Johnny Depp. So I'm surprised that he didn't sort of, you know, turn up again. And I can see why he had so much fun with this. Um, And I'm surprised that it didn't lead to more work like, 
Beetlejuice in terms of him playing sort of zany characters. Instead, he played Jack Frost and like, you know, more, more like I, 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 I low key enjoy that film. I, I do as well, but it's just the fact that he is p- playing Michael Keaton in that film. So, you know, he, he then tended to play the same character time and time again. So, but like you guys were saying, the fact that there's this sequel like being talked about, I'm like, I don't know how it would work. One in terms of the logistics of Beetlejuice coming back. And like you said, whether that character could work in this day and age in terms of like, if he's being a creep again, is somebody just going to call him out on that straight away? Or Is he going to get me too? Mm. Potentially. I was thinking this literally when I was watching it today. There's so much that we see that I'd love to see more of, of like the other, the, the like ghost world. And they've got like, obviously this like, office kind of system and i want to see more of that and i want to I, like i'd love to see more of the ghosts that are like the football player ghosts where they're like i i don't think we made it out of the crash coach yeah. and she's like oh yeah i think that's brutal like, i wanted to see more of that and every time we were sort of coming away from that to go back to the house i was like oh great it's otho again <laughs> wonderful it would also be cool to have main characters who they do actually just embrace like the way in which they die insofar as like their appearance uh so just for out you get like something quite visually interesting so, probably not as horrific as the, the the guy who was burned to death by like a cigarette fire because that was haunting yeah i think that 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 world is interesting like you say it's almost when you see other films and you can kind of go like oh, that's where this was starting to become born. So it was almost as if like Tim Burton was going, oh, this is what I'm really interested in. And then you have to sort of flip back and forth between the worlds instead of like constantly being in that world, um, which you would sort of later do. So, and the fact that they put so much effort into it, the fact that it could have just been a kind of like standard, like hell looking place or a kind of creepy looking place, but there was such a distinct visual aesthetic to it. And I think something like the Sand Snake is a very Tim Burton type, drawing in which you see like that kind of snake pretty much in nightmare before christmas um but also just then the like the reception workers and stuff i was kind of like watching it feeling like i was watching like a hanna-barbera cartoon or something in which they've just got like random green skin and pink hair and stuff like that it seemed very zany and cartoon-esque in that sense so that's why like you said lucy it made sense that it later become a cartoon because that part of it is so cartoon-esque and i think yeah, I, I think that you could have had a lot more in that world. I'm not sure if it would have worked if it was just necessarily like, oh, here's a bunch more of these like crazy characters. I think, like you said, the football team, ones like that work the best because they're kind of still people, but they just look like zombies. Whereas I think we had we had enough of those kind of jokes of like, here's a visually interesting person, like a person with a shrunk head and a person who's like smoking and <laughs> turned into a skeleton because he's just singed and burnt. You know, I, I think that those all work very well and you have as much of that as you need. Juno Birch. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of it is very, like, catchy almost, like, visually catchy. It's like, I remember that, like, I remember that. I re- the, the black and white stripy mm. suit, like, that just sticks with you, the black and white stripy sandworms, um, the bit where they open the door and the green light comes through and then the green light is just on Winona Ryder's eyes, like, that is imprinted in my soul. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got this knack for like really making iconic aesthetic moments it's the only thing he's good at but like that is like what Tim Burton's very good at Mm -hmm. and there's so many of them through this film 
even uh, like the the fashion like Catherine o'hara wearing like a pair of gloves as a headband and stuff so iconic yeah so iconic. <laughs> um and i guess yeah you're right it's like the um the contrast between this like gorgeous like mid-century home and then what they turn it into like a more what you would call modernist like i quite like what they did about what they do. like that house they just like they seem to put like textured spray paint on everything <laughs> and it was like con- it looked like concrete but it's like i know that's wood because that was wood earlier and now it just has a different texture so they just sort of textured wall like wallpaper mm-hmm. it was horrible it looked <laughs> awful it did kind of look like a haunted house or something yeah it's the clash between that and some of the like garish like rugs they put out I think just really got me. <laughs> Although I will say I give massive props to uh, the props uh, specifically. <laughs> I think the the sort of uh, when they get, all get shrunk into the model village, I thought that village looked really, really good, especially sort of the, the graveyard areas. I really like that. The layers, the layers yeah. of the when they dig grave. Yeah. 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 It looks so good. And also just the yeah. random weird like hell whorehouse as well. Just... Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. I like even even the just the stupid moments like the fly where he's like beckoning the flies <laughs> down into the and the flies like Any! <laughs> 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 It just makes no sense and that's why I love it. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> One I love is the uh the character is a Juno and it's like the old lady who's like there. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, Yeah. the gap in her neck. Because I was just like, it takes a while for you to notice. And then you're just like, oh, wow. Like when the smoke is literally like enveloping her, especially because again, there's so many characters like that in film and television, which have always got a cigarette in their hand. And yeah, it just works incredibly well, especially like you said, Lucy, later on with the football team when she's like, will you guys get out of here? And they're like, where's the change room? She's like, seriously, a changing room? And and she's like, just haunt the house. And I quite like that they they are, they play quite loose with the, the lore of this world, that they aren't like, you must do this you must do that i just like Those the fact rules, yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> I, I i'm glad that they're not too stringent about it that the fact that they're just like oh yeah you should just assume that you're going to be on this earth for like a hundred odd years and yeah why don't you just haunt them get them out of there <laughs> you know it's i like the fact that they're quite casual about it so it, it feels more like a real lived in world rather than like the film going right this is this this is this this mm. is this you know the fact that that lady just clap you know takes it so casually just makes it more it's just feel. another part of her every day. Yeah, and that everyone <laughs> has to kind of take that on board. That's what I really love about it is like the the comedy of like you've died and there's an afterlife and that's all like really mind boggling, but it is so boring and tedious and it's like this office work and red tape. Yeah, the DMV. Like, I love that idea. It's so <laughs> stupid and so funny, and like I I wish they. I think, honestly, if they were going to do, like, any sort of sequel or whatever, it should just be, like, a mini-series, and it should just about be... Gino. It shouldn't be about Beetlejuice. It should be about, yeah, the, the like, agency and, like, what those people's like lives are Like a Better Call to. Saul spin-off. People in the waiting room. <laughs> yeah, like, that kind of vibe. So it's like, oh, this is your your caseworker. Like, it would... You, oh, you, there's so much you could do with that. Like, the aesthetics and the jokes and, like... That's what I think it should be rather than... Beetlejuice cool. does Hawaii or whatever it is. I like the fact that they they make this impression that any haunted house is just a house in which the ghosts used to live there. Because I like the fact that the caseworker says, 
well, it's your house. Get them out of there. You know, so I like the fact that they're not like, oh, it's not your house anymore. I like the fact that they, even the ghosts, etc., are on their side. They're like, yeah, this is your house. Because I don't know if it's just because there's been a lot of, like, I've been speaking to people a lot about, like, family dramas in terms of inheritance and stuff within the last year. But I was kind of, like, questioning, like, well, who does, what does happen to this house? Who who sold it? Was it that, that lady? Did she get their money? Like, was there, I, you know? <laughs> there's, like, a subplot, a secret subplot in my head that that woman, because she was listing their house without their permission anyway, because she was getting offers. So I, I think she got them to change the will to her name. And then planted them, a like, dog. Train the dog, the, yeah. the dog to kill them. She knew what she was doing. And so did that dog. And then she that. <laughs> yeah, I would say the dog didn't know what he was doing if he didn't jump off the plank. <laughs> it's not just that. He he stood there to veer the so the car would veer out of his way and get in that situation. Then stood on the plank is just like <laughs> when I laughed, laugh, and then after doing that, the car plummets. And then he looks down and barks and is like, You're all right, mate? know again i do enjoy this for the visuals and i think that the stop motion works really well it's very like ray harryhausen as we were saying in the last episode with paranorman um and you can see its influences there and it works fantastically well i think when i was watching i was thinking imagine if when he's running up the stairs and he hasn't got his head when he doesn't want them to go in the attic if that was just a cg headless body it wouldn't be interesting at all you know we had one of our previous guests uh, Johan say you know he loves that about horror and kind of these kind of b-movie type films in which you know show me the paper mache is what he said in which it's enjoyable to see that because it gives like actual weight and substance to it and it's not just you know you're just watching something just generic especially when something is just completely cg it just takes away from the visual aesthetic of it I recently watched Morbius. Oh gosh! Because I made how bad it was. It's Morbid Time. I love bad films. I, it was Morbid Time. I was very excited, and it was like nothing on screen had weight, and there was mm. a fight between two characters, and uh, there was a load of us here. We like watched it and made fun of it. Frank's my friend was like, I, I I'm watching this, but all I can see is two people on like a green screen. Yeah, there's nothing like. There's no weight to it. it I know they're dogs. not really there. Yeah, it was. It's just. It feels very that, and that's what I think we we won't get really anymore with big budget films. But like Beetlejuice is one of those like it's from an era where they would just make it physically rather than mm. CG it because CG was so expensive, and now it's cheaper to do it CG than it is to make it in real life. It's it's also interesting with the characters and and how they interact with the visuals and the type of performances we get because. Again, I think one of the only problems I have, again, with the sort of, like, story of it is, you know, Beetlejuice turns out to be the villain, which, like, makes, you know, a lot of sense. But, you know, it's never really established what it means if he if he breaks free or anything like that. You know, we don't get a clear idea of what he's going to do or why it's bad that he's unleashed. And I think For that... For one and then become president. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is typical of then Tim Burton that it does turn into a more like charming story in the sense it's focused actually on the ghosts more than Beetlejuice. So again, that might be just an expectancy thing of the film is called Beetlejuice. He's there on the front cover. I feel like there's enough subtext to understand what will happen if he gets out. I mean, he calls himself what? The the bio ex, uh, exorcist, exorcist, right? Mm. So presumably if he just gets out, he just wants the to get... The anti-exorcist. He, he just, just wants, wants to get out, get out all humans, right? Yeah. I don't think it's. Yeah. I don't think it's something. And I, I actually quite like the fact that it's so underplayed in terms of 
like the stakes. I think everything they do already emphasizes why getting uh, why him just getting out was a bad idea. I don't think the story needs to play it up that much. But I think I think there is enough there by what we're given to understand why it would be a bad idea. Yeah, no, and and to be fair, I guess that does kind of back up what I was saying earlier about not being too strict with the rules about the the lore of the yeah. the afterlife, etc. Um, I guess it's just I was just surprised on the balance of characters that you know you had so much emphasis on the two main ghosts, and I like that. I like that you know it's similar to Edward Scissorhands in the sense that there's this charming story at the core of it. And that, you know, it's about this couple that haven't got a child and actually find like an adoptive daughter in, in some way. Um, and then the end of the film in which she's dancing, etc. It's quite a nice sort of freeing moment for her, I guess, uh, in, in that way. It is still very like the parents just don't care. <laughs> yeah, they're giving her to the ghosts at the yeah. end, pretty much. I mean, obviously, it's stepmom and she's like classic stepmom that doesn't give a crap and then classic indifferent 80s dad as well (laughs) oh my god that guy the actor he um has been done for a bunch of sex crimes (gasps) what is this i was promised like a fun conversation about this film yeah then you invited us (laughs) (laughs) but to go back to Catherine o'hara i think even though we were saying earlier about the fact that uh so was it goldie hon was originally meant to play it was, like, Catherine o'hara was like one of the last people on the list oh. <laughs> yeah but goldie Hawn's my favorite one i wouldn't have minded her i do really love Catherine o'hara though because again i think obviously you know a lot of people will know her from home alone um but i think that again these type of roles is where she's really able to sort of like play with the characters and show, show her kooky side the fact that know she's a voice in nightmare before christmas as well and she like voices like the little witch character in the in the oogie boogies little uh henchman i think is you know shows her singing ability and like the you know her voice you know her voice talents and which she's been able to do as well but i think it's surprising to me that she is the stepmom because in in the film you almost look at her and think oh she could actually be you know winona Ryder's mum um but i think she just has a lot of like funny great moments she obviously like at first kind of carries that kind of banana boat song um but even the moment where like they first arrive and like her artwork like pins her against the wall and she's like ah, and like just the way she reacts <laughs> to things i think you just get a lot of her performance i do and... not want to die like this <laughs> yeah. have you seen my heart it's scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, which is kind of why i was kind of glad in a way that they didn't go with the typical like oh the parents die or something like that i kind of like that they came around at the end and even though like you said the ghosts become the parents of the child and they just abandoned their child at least they got something out of it that they were kind of they settled with the house they made it look more aesthetically pleasing and kind of used their strengths to influence their art and their books and all that kind of stuff they're doing what many 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 people are doing these days which is cohabiting with people outside of their family yeah very true i really hate i want to say his name's oslo that's not it othello no otho otho yeah, you already said his name correctly earlier in the podcast. Yeah, I couldn't Otho, remember it once the, it. the interior designer slash medium <laughs> yes, yeah. guy. Man of many yeah, times. was an odd character. That's my issue with him, is he's just like, oh, I'm good at this. I'm good at, oh, you need that? I'm, I'm good not- at that, actually. It's like, I feel like if they said, oh, we've got a leak, he'd be like, I can plan. I'll do some <laughs> 
To be fair, there are dickheads like that in the world, so I think he's actually quite representative. That's what I thought. I did quite enjoy that element of his character because I liked even visually just his appearance. I don't know what the joke was when he like redressed him at the end. Is it meant to be that he was like... It was uh, like it was a suit that was like very very ugly, so it's like you wouldn't be caught dead in something like that. But I I, I did really enjoy that, and like <laughs> the flick, and then it rips off, and he's like, oh my god, like it's so. Ugly. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. And just yeah, the visual aesthetics before that, just the sort of balance of the black and red, and just like how sort like neat his hair was. I, I quite I thought it was, you know I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah, it was a bit of a stretch to be like, oh, I also do this, but then like. Craig said, you know, there are people like that who'll be like, oh, well, I have also done this. And in to the be past. fair, he just sort of lucked out by the fact that the ghost just left the book that explained everything around. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was good at medium. He was just like, I'm just going to read. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of well, enjoyed. He's not like, he was interior designing, but he wasn't doing, he was just going around and saying to her, like, you're reading my mind. What am I thinking? And then just, she's saying it and he's like, yes. It's just a scam. Yeah, yeah. Like he is kind of like a used scammer. car salesman kind of character in a way. Yeah, so maybe he's that because, I mean, that's what a lot of mediums are as well. <laughs> it just happened to work because I mean, it, of it makes sense. the All he, ridiculous like, rules of the the universe that they're in. Yeah, and just every now and then spray can like a, an X on a Move. random wall. <laughs> oh, we could go this colour. I'm pretty sure it was just the same colour in every room that he spray painted. Yeah, spray that can. textured wall that Lucy yeah. was on about. And the fact that he found the book very much speaks to what you were saying, Shelley, of like, you know, a lot of mediums can be con artists. You can imagine him doing that of like, oh, I, you know, did your relative really like cars? You know, finds like model car in the corner, mm. etc. <laughs> Let's wrap this up then and uh, go to now our final section, which is the movie vault uh, to ask, should Beetlejuice be remembered for all time and give our last thoughts on the film? So Lucy, we'll go to you first. What do you think? Should Beetlejuice go into our movie vault? I think because it's like, it, it is just an iconic film and it did really shape this sort of like genre of um, like, horror comedies like it's, it's so aesthetically iconic like it, i could show someone pretty much any clip from that film and they'd be like oh that's beetlejuice even like a screenshot like a, a screen grab from that film they'd be like yeah that's beetlejuice like it's i think it does deserve to be in the vault but i would argue it's probably one of the few tim Burton's that is good and i don't think that's to do with him being involved in it i think that's other people who are better than him but I don't think we should punish the film just because Tim Burton is attached. I think it should go in the vault. It's very much that encouragement, isn't it? Like Shelley was saying with like, you know, it goes through the entire crew. It's just that that concept or the idea bleeds through to then, you know, Danny Elfman's music and the costume designer that everyone is kind of like influenced by it. So as you were saying with his visuals, he's so good with those visuals that I guess that kind of inspires everyone else to be on their top form, uh, which is obviously something that didn't happen with Morbius. <laughs> but uh, Shelley, what do you think? Yeah, I I have to agree. I would say it's... You know, it's probably one of my favourite, if not my favourite, Tim Burton vehicles. I won't say film because he 
he attaches his name. We've we've been through all that. Yeah. And also, yeah, I feel like you could show a picture of Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice to someone who'd never even seen the film and they'd go, oh, that's Beetlejuice. So I think it's it's iconic in that way, just of its visuals. And um, I just, I really enjoy it as a film, despite all of its kind of shortcomings in terms of the world rules and the, the gropiness. I still think it, it's uh, very indicative of its time and starting that kind of, let's see the humour in the darkness side of things. Because I think the 70s was very much, um, you know, the dark side of, of humanity. Well, let's see the dark side of the other side in this one. And I think it was one of the uh, sort of pioneering films while still con- continuing that b-movie vibe do you both think it's a good halloween film like it would it be one you would go to or would you be more your sort of jump scare like oh my god or would it be just a part of a kind of october kind of collection i go for a mix of both really so i'll have (laughs) sorry (laughs) lucy's cat is just like loving on her and i'm loving on it oh um yeah it would it would be part of my kind of if i had to pick like 31 films to watch each day in october it would definitely be in there no doubt i agree <laughs> uh craig what do you think yeah i i didn't hate this film so i i feel like by sheer virtue of that i mean i actually didn't i actually didn't enjoy the uh did enjoy the film i i feel like elements that bothered other people um, as much as they are, you know, elements that I would not expect in, you know, a decent human being, I think in sort of like, in like a sort of horror ghost element that even like a, a receptionist in the underworld has been like, he's a bad egg. I kind of just sort of accept it being there. And there's also just, I'm going to use my sort of defense of just, if it, if it were made now, I'd have like a bit more concern. But at the time, I'm just like, I over, I just overlook it to the point of it didn't bother, it didn't bother me as much. Um, because I guess uh, it was just yeah. like the character is like the point. I have to agree. I, and I every agree character with that. does call him out on it. Oh yeah, there's no, there's nobody who's just like that. Beetlejuice, what a guy, oh, what a guy. That's just him. Oh, he's <laughs> a character. Um, I've yeah, got a but, question for Craig. Yeah. What do you think this has over other Tim Burton films? Fun. It has fun, <laughs> like. That's the pro. I feel like Tim Burton is the kind of director that tries a lot to do sort of very emotionally driven stories. Uh, and I think a lot, because I think this is the, the defense that was given to why Edward Scissorhand is in the movie vault, despite the fact that I said I don't think it should be, is the idea that he tries, he tries to go for a lot of development of very lonely characters and sort of building up those emotional stories. And for me, that's where that just doesn't work. Um, just because I think in some situations it takes itself so seriously that everything just feels so goddamn bleak. Here, however, I think that while you do have a lot of sort of bleak elements, they contrasted quite well with the idea of just, we're going to take everything so lightheartedly um, that actually it comes off as a lot a lot easier to, jo- uh, to enjoy and sort of, um, just get through. So even though there are some like relatively horrific things in this film, the fact that they're not dwelled on um, means that you can sort of have fun with it. And I think that's what a lot of Tim Burton films need to do and often just sort of don't, right? That's why I even think like the defense of like Dark Shadows being a uh, from a bad uh, soap opera uh, turned into a film doesn't work because it doesn't 
translating those elements sort of like like for like so the point of it doesn't actually embrace any more of those campiness so it feels like it's trying to take itself seriously um that's why you literally have the awful line of i'm a werewolf woof woof Mm -hmm. said in the way that it is so dry deadpan doesn't work this i think actually enjoys itself to the point of i actually give this film credit as like a tim burton film so i think it should go in yeah i think and it's interesting like i said with that drama stuff because again i can't remember what i said with the average scissors hands one but i think for me you know i don't exactly get a kick out of that stuff but i can look watch it and go okay i can see how that's appealing to a certain type of audience but for me i see there then the chaoticness that you see here in moments like the neighborhood and the the uh, the wives who again their hair cut by Edward and you got a lot of the visuals there etc whereas I think in this film you know that kind of you don't have that balance as much of the crazy kookiness balanced with then drama there's always that chaotic element to Tim Burton and I think that while that is what attracts me to something like Edward Scissorhands and a lot of the visuals and some of the drama uh, more in terms of like Shelley was saying earlier like things like the music and the visuals um Whereas I think story-wise, it's not all that, you know, reinvents the wheel. Whereas I think it's interesting here because it just purely embraces that and it's only about that, which is obviously why, you know, Craig has said there that he enjoys that more. And a lot of you guys have said that as well. And I think because it is purely just a comedy, much like something like Mars Attacks, as I mentioned earlier, it kind of works in that way. And like Lucy said, I think the visuals are so embedded in people's brains. I think that while we don't always give credit for things that have just become popular because of their achievements i think that it is backed up by still a good story and good performances the fact that you can watch this and even though you kind of go oh yeah that's the moment that everyone like quotes and the moment you always see but there's still those jokes like with the football players and the smoking and the the ghosts that, that you still get a lot more out of it than just the kind of like pop culture famous stuff so yeah into the movie vault then goes beetlejuice from 1988 Uh, as our film to sort of represent this year's Halloween special. Okay, end game time. So this is a game that I like to call I Summon You Forth. So obviously one of the factors of this film that we didn't really talk about, we joked about it at the beginning, was obviously how you summon forth Beetlejuice as you say his name three times. And it got me thinking... It might be interesting to go through a variety of different films and if they had to have a method of summoning a character, how it is that we could implement that into the film. So that's what this game is going to be all about. There's going to be five rounds. And the idea is I'm going to give you um, a choice of five films. You can choose one of the five films uh, from each of the one uh, ones that I give you. And I want you to choose a character in that film, if you happen to know it. If you don't know any of, any of the five films, then I... I I don't understand, (laughs) but you have to choose one of the characters and how you'd summon them forth. And I want you to come up with a method of how you'd summon them. So whether that would be like a couple of phrases, whether that would be like a particular sort of strategy or method. Um, There are some obviously rules to this. Um, So rule number one, you can't just be like, you'd say their name three times. So if it's done in Beetlejuice, can't do it here. We don't like people being derivative. Rule number two, you can't just do the very basic, like, for example, say you wanted to summon David. You can't just go, Oi, Dave, come here. <laughs> right? You need to put some creativity into this. Um, those are the only two rules. Bar that, you can do 
whatever you want. So the way this will work is that David and I will give you independent scores. So we'll be scoring you on three things. Originality, effectiveness, and performance. So when we say performance in the event that you want to give us a demonstration of the summoning of this character within this uh, within your film, um, go for that and we can give you a score. And basically David and I will score each of you per round up to five each. So each round is out of 10. The player who has the highest score at the end is the winner. Everyone clear on the rules? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Um, Before we get into the game, uh, it's always good to have an idea of what it is we're going to be playing for. So as with every other episode, we're going to hear the hints of what films could be coming up. And we'll start with, as always, the host choice. So David, what are you playing for? So, uh, yeah, usually with... Usually with uh, our choices, then uh, I usually just try to persuade people or give them, you know, a bit of a tease, make them like think, oh, well, what is that film? And, you know, that sounds like a fun one, etc. But this is more of a call to arms. I'm like, this is happening between, you know, Halloween and Christmas. There is only one choice that we can go for. So it's a call of arms, guys, to go from this film from 1993. I think it would just be perfect uh, after what we've talked about. I think everything that <laughs> any other hints I would give would just be obvious what it is. But, uh, you know, it's very linked to the visuals and the creatives okay so that is what the hosts are putting up for for grabs for this episode Shelley, what film are you vying for i am playing for a 2014 film similar to uh something else that we've mentioned in this episode okay excellent Finally, Lucy, what what would you like to put forward? Uh, a film that stars Demi Moore. Okay, excellent. That's what you're getting. That's fine. Um, sometimes less is more. Demi Moore, some would say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So, like I said, I'm going to give you... So, there are five rounds, and each round I'm going to give you a different set of five films. So, let's start with the first five films. Are we ready? So we have The Lawnmower Man, The Emperor's New Groove, Ten Things I Hate About You, Fifty First Dates, Love Rosie. So choose one of those films and think about a character you would like to summon and how you do it. Um, Each round you will have a minute to think, so your time starts now. Okay then. So, so what I want you to do is when I when I ask you to, I want you to say what film you've chosen, which character you've chosen, and then just talk us through your method. So we'll start with Lucy. I chose Emperor's New Grove, and I chose Isma. Yep. And the method is you get one of the peasants, you slit their throat, and then all the blood <laughs> spews out, and then you write Isma's name in it. And then she comes out of blood. I mean, I, I just love David's reaction then. I just saw it from the corner of my eye. He literally just went like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yay. Emperor's New Groove, Disney film. Oh, my God, the slitting throat. Okay, so a, a, a good old goat sacrifice to the devil, except it's a peasant in Yzma. Oh, I'm a sacrifice. Okay. Shelley. 
so I obviously had to go for 50 first dates. Yep. <laughs> um, and the character I chose was is the um I don't know the character's name, but it's the the big guy who works at the cafe, mm-hmm. the one who keeps threatening him with the butcher's knife. And to summon him, you would have to play at least a 30-second ukulele solo. Um yeah, so that's mine. Okay. Excellent. Two very different do approaches. To, do we have to do a demonstration? Because I want to see Lucy. Have you got a ukulele? Is there a peasant in there? Yeah, so I mean the demonstration. I've got to be a peasant. Yeah, so I mean the demonstration is only if you if you can do something uh do something like that. So David, uh talk us through your score for Lucy. Um so it's definitely unique in the sense that I, I just don't know if it's like as linked to Yzma as I would have liked to, but it's very psychotic. So I have to give it Poor points people, for that. Peasant. <laughs> True. Poor but, people. <laughs> but then Yzma's all about like potions and turning into animals and stuff. I thought it was going to be something about that. So I don't know. I would give, uh, I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Um, so just talking through my score, uh, I would also uh, I would also give it a free. I think part of this is that I think it's I think the image of it is quite creative. However, obviously, as part of the performance score, there wasn't anything that we could like grade you on specifically for that. And I think as well, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just true, right? You joke about having a peasant. You don't get them for us. Um, but uh, but also uh, but also just I think. I, I think like the creativity insofar as like the context uh, is definitely true. Um, I think like David says, I would have liked to see it go for, uh, further. Okay, so with uh, 51st Dates, uh, I'm going to start uh, this time. So for Shelley, um, I also award a free. Uh, same sort of logic insofar as like you chose a method, which I think is unique. And I don't think many people associate the ukulele with summoning necessarily. Um, but again, just at the point where you're not able to show us how that might look like, or even just talk us through what the melodies might look like, I just have to bump you down a little bit. But I still, I still like the idea of it as a, like a unique, uh, a unique concept. So, David, what would you score, Shelley? I was thinking the same, and I'll stick with it because I think it'll help in terms of like the first round again, maybe to sort of like yeah. in terms of how we go forward, maybe in terms of changing things up. So, I think that yeah, I like the fact that it's linked more to the character, but I would have liked maybe a song or something, or some idea of like what it was specifically that we hear. So, at the end of round one, both contestants scored six. <laughs> I mean, it's a solid start. Like, you, <laughs> you just aim to go up. So, are we ready for the next set of five? Yeah. So this time you can choose between The Benchwarmers, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, Disney's Dinosaur, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. And you have another minute to decide. Now... Oh. Oh god, she's going to get props. <laughs> oh she? wow. Oh no. I think she took the comment about the peasants quite personally. <laughs> you always just slit their throat. I'll slit their <laughs> Okay, so this time we'll start with Shelley. Oh no. I was looking to see if I had any video effects I could put on. <laughs> okay. So basically, I've chosen Fellowship of the Ring. Yep. Um, to summon Galadriel, you have to um, 
do an inverted video of yourself <laughs> with a really really bad uh, like demon voice <laughs> going I'll summon in place of I need a queen <laughs> but there's no visual effects so so zoom let you down <laughs> yeah zoom let me down okay <laughs> okay interesting start Lucy I chose Nightmare Before Christmas and is um, Jack Skeleton. Yep. And to summon him, you have to get um, three pumpkins. Okay. There's three. And you have to hold them all. And it has to be Halloween. Yeah. And you have to say, you have to sing a song. You have to sing, Halloween, Halloween. I've got three pumpkins. Now here's Jack. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm gonna lose. <laughs> and I've got three pumpkins. Can someone take a screenshot, please? I need everyone to know that I've got three pumpkins. Yeah, wait, keep talking. So I grew these speak. in my garden. That's well, what you I actually grew wait, them. Yeah. Bonus points. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do. I would sing a little song for old Skeleton Jack. Okay. On, it has to be on Halloween, otherwise it won't work. Excellent. Okay, so David, let's start with let's start with Shelly then. <laughs> There was something really funny about this the other day, actually, where like that Lord of the Rings show has just ended and um, people were just saying about how you would use that effect or something like that. They were just saying, oh, I love like how this storyline is taking place in the TV show and like that, that translates to like she becomes inverted. It was some fun commentary on it. So it was kind of like well-timed in that sense that I've still got that in my mind, especially from that show. Um, and I do love that moment. Like, I will be a queen. So... I think the easy option would have been to go for something like Gollum or something like that. So I'm going to go for a four just because I think it has that extra flair to it of the visual aspect and not just you haven't gone for the typical, you know, ring or Gollum or something. How cool would it have been if I had found an inversion (laughs) and just done it? Yeah. And if you had done it like as you just said the line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that would have had a big, uh, big impact for me. Um, I'm going to be the slightly harsher one. Uh, I'm I'm going for a free again. I think the creativity is definitely more uh, more there, but I think I think the performance Execution. was I think the performance <laughs> was affected by technology letting you down. So I think you could have been really really bold with the with the choice of wording you go for when like the like I shall be a queen stuff at the end, but because you were just flummoxed by Zoom not giving you that option, um, I think <laughs> I panicked. You, yeah, you talked us through a little bit, so I think. <laughs> Uh, so I think it's it's still just a free from uh, free, but I still think it's a very I still think it's a very good round. Thank you. Okay, coming on to Lucy then and uh, Jack Skellington. So, <laughs> I mean, you had the pumpkins, you brought them to us. Um, sang the song. You sang the song. I think the song has that right level of charm. Of some would some would call it lazily written. I think it is. <laughs> I'm it. gonna be. I knew I'd sing. I didn't know what I was gonna sing. I just opened my mouth. That's what came out. Yeah, and, and I for that, I that, tell you what it was. I think now, for that, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I think that justification has bumped it to a four for me. Uh, yes. So, David, what I loved about it is because when you came on, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna give bonus points for like having the pumpkins it's too unfair you know so at that stage i was like it's cool you know i appreciate it 
but the the song is what give it the flair, I think. And what's even better is what again, it's Jack Skelton, but he's the Pumpkin King, so I you know appreciate that connection. But also, you could have gone, you know, this is Halloween, this is Halloween, or something. But no, you went original. You went with your own Halloween. Special. Halloween. I've got three pumpkins here. Now it's Jack. And I want to shoot. I want to hear kids throughout the land singing that every Halloween. So I'm going to full five star. You know why not? (laughs) So I'm just just adding up the scores as we go along. So still still everything to play for. But at the end of round uh, two, the scores are uh, Shelley has 13. Lucy has 15. But there's still three rounds to go. So set number three, we've got Connie. Dodgeball, Saving Private Ryan, Mulan, and 300. Okay, so starting with Lucy. I picked Mulan, and I picked the Nan from Mulan. And to summon her, you have to get a a necklace made of beads of jade for beauty. And you put that on, and then you go in the garden, you go find a cricket for luck, and then you take the cricket, then you nom, 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 you eat the cricket, and then you make yourself sick, and then the sick, it turns into the nan. <laughs> <laughs> what an image. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, wonderful. Shelley, what did you go for? I chose Dodgeball, um, Patches O'Houlihan. Yep. the coach and to summon him you have to do your best hand modeling because he used to be a hand model and you have to go dodge dip duck dive and dodge <laughs> that's me hand modeling <laughs> and then he appears <laughs> throws balls at you <laughs> okay excellent um so we'll start uh, so we'll start with lucy um with the summoning the nan from mulan by vomiting <laughs> up a cricket <laughs> A cricket just for luck, and you've got to wear beads of jade for beauty. Okay. David, I think you might have the same comment as me, but let's see if you make it. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think whether that is each element that the Nan gives her in the there's song. A, there's a third element okay. that wasn't addressed. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was like, there seems to be something missing. So I think possibly would have been extra points if there was that element. I can't think what it is. But also just... I think the Yzma one worked in the sense I could imagine this like blood going into the shape of Yzma, but imagine vomit going into the shape of this like dumpy old woman. I'm I just pictured like, that more readily, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. It's just an unpleasant. Like, yes. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I can imagine Yzma being in blood and then like, you're like, oh my God, this evil villain's arriving. And then she does. Whereas something in vomit, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to see what comes from this. So I'm going to go with a three on that one. Original, but uh not quite there yeah so for me it was two things one it was the fact that there is one element one more element it was it's whatever's in between the beads of jade for beauty it's whatever comes next and then there's add a cricket 
just I know the... what comes next. Okay. Beads of jade for beauty. You must proudly show. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Now add a cricket okay. just for luck. So there's no physical element that I could have added. Mm. I will take that extra point now, David. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you'll take it from me because in that case, I'm going to give it a four. I think the only other concern I have is the implication of uh, Mulan's Nan actually just being like a weird demon cricket in human form. Um, <laughs> I think it was just because I felt this still should be like even like, like that crickets in the little cage thing I felt this should have been like a third all things you know come in threes in those like spell things yeah so to go on then to the Shelley the is the third yeah thing. I was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> to move on to Shelley and Dodgeball um, I think a really uh, a really great premise and I think really sold it with the performance I think the hand I think the hand modelling if this were possible to summon him, I think would have summoned him. That demonstration may be not, not as good as when you actually did do it, but because I, I think there was a fluency to it. But um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the performance. Um, I think if you had given a little bit of a descriptor as to exactly how that might work and like how it actually summons him, I would give you a full five points. So for me, it's a very solid four. Yeah, I think I'll also go for four because I think it's just, it's very simple in its approach, but it works because it's so tied to the character and it's something you could just imagine being done. And it's kind of like the Beetlejuice thing, like it could easily be done. Somebody be like, oh, don't move your hand around like that. And then like, oh no. <laughs> so yeah, four points. So it's now there's a one point difference, uh, Lucy with 22 and Shelly with 21. So still everything to play for with the next two rounds. Group number four. We've got Troy, Tropic Thunder, Wanted, Hot Fuzz, and Borat. Okay, so Shelley, talk us through your film. So, oh God, I did not think of a character. Um, I mean, which film? <laughs> Wait, so you've got so you've got a summoning method for one of the films, but you don't know who you're summoning. The cast. <laughs> <laughs> let's go for so it's Hot Fuzz. Uh, let's go for the woman who works in the pub. You know, the one whose age they get wrong. Yeah, you said she's fifty four, and actually, I'm fifty three. Um, where she's, you know, her hair goes like that when she's doing the machine gun. Um, so to summon her, you have to eat a classic Cornetto in under a minute and the power of the brain freeze will just like emanate out from you. Like the pain will turn into what wow, old bitch. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I, I really, I, I just was picturing the method and couldn't come, <laughs> didn't come up with it. And yet you still managed to come up with an incredibly obscure character from that film. Oh, she's, she's the best. Like the way her yeah. hair moves when she's firing that gun stays with me. We're just imagining the thought process <laughs> at the moment. You must have just been like, yeah, the Cornetto brain freeze. Which Cornetto? Oh, I haven't had, I haven't had Cornetto in a I while. Mint Cornetto. Cornetto was which film? <laughs> Has to be the classic vanilla Cornetto, otherwise it will not work. Mm. Oh. Excellent. Okay. And you have to picture the hair. I'm adding things to it now. Please give me five points. <laughs> Lucy, what did you go for? Um, I can't remember the character's name, but it's Angelina Jolie's character in Wanted. I want to say Sloan. Yeah, I think some, yeah. I don't remember that. 
So what you gotta do, right? It's quite simple, right? Stay with me on this one. So you get a gun, okay? Step you take on. the gun, mm-hmm. right? And then you shoot it like that. You go like flick your arm. And then what happens is if you flick your arm fast enough, the bullet will go round in a circle. So what you've got to do then is duck, because she doesn't duck in the film, and that's why she dies. And I was screaming, Angie, duck, because I love Angie. So then you duck, so the bullet doesn't hit you. So then it just keeps going round and round and round and round in a circle until it spins so fast, it creates a void, of vortex, and then out of that vortex pops an Angelina Jolie <laughs> as that character, and then you have a gun shoot out with her. Oh, nice. Like- so you've, even, so you've <laughs> even got a purpose for why you've summoned her. Okay. I yeah. mean, you could have just combined them both. You could have just been like, you get a gun and you just throw that away and then eat a cornetto and then you'd be sick. <laughs> and then Angelina <laughs> comes from the vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just summon someone with your vape then. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it fell asleep yeah. and then you appear. You missed a, missed an opportunity there to do the visuals. Oh, I mean, there's still one more round. Yeah. So. Nah, they've, they've given me <laughs> away now. <laughs> Okay, so let's start with the scoring for Shelly then. So, David, this is the, uh, you eat a vanilla Cornetto and you summon the pub landlady in under a minute. I think the most effective part of it was the brain freeze bit. I think the Cornetto, well, like I said, that's clever in what we've previously had in this, something linked, not immediately obvious and but i think the brain freeze thing there was just enough like imagery there that i was kind of like yeah i I can visualize this i can see it obviously the hair shake thing was a good aspect to have so yeah i'll give it a four for some strong strong imagery i was getting from that one yeah uh for me i think uh i think the main the main thing that i needed then because i think the summoning method is very strong for me it's just a connection to why specifically that character um so i would also I would also give it a four. Coming on then to the summoning method for Angelina Jolie's character in Wanted. So I really like I really like this as a concept. I think um, like the idea of like the spiraling and sort of like the weird vortex void thing just because of the method, which the gun obviously being pivotal to how the world of Wanted works. Um, I thought it was like excellently explained. Obviously, it's one of those things that's hard to demonstrate, um, and I think you put a lot of actions into like the hand gestures, which I think Dewey did a lot. Not quite a five for me, so I think I'm gonna have to give it uh, have to give that one a four as well. Yeah. I think I, I, I think for me I won't go as high as a four. I think I'll go for a three because I like the idea. I like the concept and I was I thought the vortex thing, once you said that, I was like, oh that's cool and just the imagery you created there. But I think again it was just like because it was the bullet thing, which is linked to the film, like Shelley chose was something linked to her film. But I don't know, I just, because it was Angelina Jolie, I wanted something, you know, it could have been something more like glamorous or something very like polar opposite in that way. So I think that it was kind of like the route I expected and that bit of creativity sort of got that three stars. So that means going into the final round, you're on equal points with both so both of you have scored 20 lost respect for you david i didn't i'm not good at maths i didn't know that that he gave you a higher score in that round why did you it's just like because lucy's better at this (laughs) i'm not good at maths i didn't know that so what we're going to do for a little bit of suspense for the last round is we're not going to we're not going to tell you the scores uh we're gonna i'm gonna get david to write his down i'll write mine down add it up and then we'll go through and then we'll look at the final scores. Okay? This is too mm-hmm. tense. I can't take that. 
So the final five films you have are Alita Battle Angel, Princess Bride, Independence Day, Deep Impact, and Avengers Endgame. So David, who would you like to hear first? Um, I think Lucy, just because we hear from Shelley last. Okay, go for it, Lucy. Okay, I went with Avengers Endgame. Yep. And the character I went with, I'm going to explain, I'm I'm just going to explain you through it. So you know the bit where it's like, oh no, all, all hope is lost. And then it's like, on your left. And then the portal opens and it's like, oh shit. And it's like, on your right, on your left. And then it keeps going. Then it would be like, oh no, she's here. And then a big portal would open in the sky. And then I would just drop out of it. I've written myself into Endgame. So now I'm there, right? And I just start running at Thanos because I'm like, I'm not taking any shit. So I just run at Thanos, like on my handbag. And I just start whacking him with my handbag. And he's like, no, please. And I'm like, don't mess with me. I'm from Newport. And, um, and then I kill Thanos and then everyone's like, yay, well done, Lucy. And I'm like, you're welcome, guys. And then I go home, back through the same portal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we have a revisionist Beautiful. take of Avengers Endgame to start oh. off with. Better. I concede. I concede. Better. <laughs> I mean, I'm here, right? we, we will see. Is it like, is the portal called like the Wookiee hole? <laughs> no, the Wookiee hole is where the Wookiees come from. This is the Lucy hole where oh. the Lucy's come from. The fur hole. <laughs> Shelly, talk us through your vision. So you want to know this, but Deep Impact uh, is probably the film that I have shed the most tears over in my life. Like I've watched it so many times and there's one bit that always makes me cry. So um, I would probably revise this bit of the film. So there's a bit where, you know, the guy whose visor doesn't work and he looks directly into the sun and gets blinded. And then he has to say goodbye to his son who he's literally never seen. So um, for his son back on earth when he's older to summon his dad, he has to get that little rocket toy that he has and put like an umbrella over it. So it's shaded from the sun. And then he has to go, that's a mighty fine dad I've got there, Oren. Because <laughs> his name's Oren. Um, and yeah, and then I won't cry until like there's no moisture left in my body <laughs> interesting so, yeah. very different takes <laughs> Just to bring the mood down yeah, it's, <laughs> we've gone for the emotional and the chaotic <laughs> <laughs> so now we're just going to do our independent scorings uh just showing them to me and i'll put them in mm-hmm. will it help my score if i show you a tit <laughs> No, I, I think based off what I said earlier was like I'm not giving points for the pumpkins so I think <laughs> <laughs> again no points for your pumpkins <laughs> yeah I'm also I also cannot be swayed like that Shirley whoever wins I think we should remain friends <laughs> I don't think we should let this come between us no I feel like we're at the last stage of the like Halloween beauty pageant <laughs> if you made it through the valentine's gobble gobble win <laughs> you can get through anything <laughs> gobble gobble <Yeah. laughs> that still lives rent free in my brain <laughs> it's turkey time 
So one of you scored 36 and the other one scored 38. So the winner of this end game, Shelly. What? Oh. <laughs> oh my God. I love the reaction there. Like Shelly was going to react, like react of just like understandable. It was just, uh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> no. This was so much more creative. <laughs> yeah, so the score was me. It was because, the like, the, no, the scenario was great, but it wasn't a summoning method. It was a very, really good story about a character who's been summoned to what they would do. Yeah. But it, it, the description was just a hole in the sky, and then I plop through. <laughs> I would watch it. I would watch that. Sorry, the summoning methods in the deleted scenes, you have to get Disney Plus to uh, see those. Okay, so... So obviously this is your first time uh, winning a, uh, winning an endgame with our new format, which means that you now get to decide the film that we discuss in next week's episode. So you can choose the film that yeah. you've gone for. You can choose the film that Lucy suggested. You can oh. f- choose the film that we suggested. So you get a, you don't have to go with yours. You can pick any of them. However, you have to g- guess them. No. It's not a case you have to guess them. You have to go based on the description if you want, want it to be discussed or not. We can't tell you what it is until you've chosen Oh, right. Um, well, I think Lucy's is the Scarlet Letter, which I do love because I love Easy A and um, they talk about it in that. Uh, I don't know what yours is. Yours is probably... No, I didn't mean... No, did I mean the Scarlet Letter? <laughs> oh, God. I, mean, I think we have to force just like... like just, yeah. just, just Okay, I, p- I pick yours. I, I um, <laughs> you don't know what I'm pointing at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> David, David and Craig. Oh, okay. So we're going for the host choice. So talk us through what I can almost guess it, it's going is to be. Is Nightmare Before Christmas, which is 1993's Tim Burton. <laughs> so. <laughs> but we do have a Nightmare Before Christmas fan on the next episode, just saying. Okay, that's <laughs> fine then. So David, for those at home who want to watch along as we talk about the Nightmare Before Christmas, where can they find it? You can catch it, of course, on Disney Plus, uh, along with uh, Virgin Media, if you have a subscription to their Virgin Media Go service. Uh, And you can also rent it on places like Apple, Amazon, etc. Or physical media, as we've said before, it's out on Blu-ray, DVD. Um, But Disney Plus is uh, probably one of the most likely places to catch it on streaming. Welcome to an extraordinary world filled with magic and wonder. Open your mind and let yourself go to a place where every day is Halloween and every night Jack Skellington... I am the Pumpkin King! ...dreams of something different. What is this? It's someplace new. Jack, look out! What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. So, yeah, go check out uh, Nightmare Before Christmas if you want to watch along with us, if you want to get ready for next episode and uh, join in our discussion. That's the film we'll be talking about in next time's episode. Uh, Anything, lastly, from yourself, Craig? So we're still in the midst of planning our Endgame special. One thing we've decided we want to do this time is we want it to be for a good cause. Um, We haven't decided exactly which charity or charities we want to donate to yet. We have decided a a rough theme of what we want those charitable donations to be focused towards. And we feel that in honour of several of our guests who have had a deep connection 
uh, with animals and their pets, including the two that we have in front of us, with, to the point that their cats literally have joined us mm-hmm. throughout various points of this recording. Uh, we've decided we would like to donate towards um, animal charities specifically. So we haven't decided which ones they would necessarily be. We don't want to donate to just a specific one animal. We would like it to try and go to uh, as, as broad a base as possible. So if you at home uh, have any suggestions of who we could potentially look at, please send us those suggestions and we will highly, highly consider them. This is something that we generally want to do. I mean, I mean, the amount of animals that we sort of have owned in our respective lives as well um, and just means a lot to a lot of people. That's something we would like to support. And a bit of a tease to the theme in of that uh, episode as well. But yeah, it's going to be um, a really fun one again. Uh, Lucy and Shelley have been on our Endgame special, so they know the chaos that's involved in it, being in a giant version of that Endgame challenge. And yeah, obviously a great chance to uh, raise money at the end of the year uh, for uh, very deserving charities. So uh, now for where we can catch you guys. So Shelley, Lucy, tell us all about your socials and any projects you've got going on. Shelley, uh, yourself, where can people go to find you? I pretty much put everything on Instagram. Um at knitwear cat hair um <laughs> yeah um everything's kind of linked from there really it's the kind of hub <laughs> go see all the preparation for the musicals and stuff that have happened and will be happening i'm sure and uh lucy i li- i don't do anything anymore literally your this house is the- we'll go visit your house <laughs> it's decorated yeah when, lucy's um, pumpkin I'm patch <laughs> i'm growing pumpkins um I'm transitioning. Like, my life's pretty chill and boring. I haven't really got anything. Like, if you want to find me on the internet, don't. Oh. I'm not on there anymore. Uh. Go away. Why are you trying to find me, weirdos? <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to live a quiet life. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough okay well uh go catch lucy on our previous episodes as well <laughs> so uh yeah thank you very much for both joining us it's been a mad and fun uh episode as always when you're both on and uh, we hope you can join us again uh in the new year maybe we'll have an anniversary of the valentines though uh, i'm sure you're probably getting ptsd of those bad films again <laughs> happy halloween everyone as well i hope you've had a good october and uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next one where we're talking all about Nightmare Before Christmas. A uh, special shout out as well to uh, at the top of the episode with that fantastic Van Helsing Dracula impression from our previous guest, Kyle Sean Thomas. He is a part of a band called Crypt Rot, uh, which is a metal band which has just released a new album. Uh, you can find them over on Instagram as well at Crypt Rot Band. So go check them out. And thank you once again, Kyle, for providing all of our Halloween intros. They've been very fun. Uh, everything from Saw to Pennywise to now Dracula this uh, week, which I'm sure that uh, Craig was loving revisiting that film in some way or form. So, yeah, happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you, uh, Shelley and Lucy, once again, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Happy Halloween. See you. Thanks for having Keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies. You can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website 
freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.